Hello and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Sorars and this is the Friday edition of the show. Took the last two days. I didn't really feel like I had anything that needed to be talked about urgently. Uh, I wrote a blog, a quick one, about the NHL's new television deal with ESPN, kind of the state of play in the league, where revenues are, where revenues were supposed to be pre-pandemic, the underlying issues where the league hasn't met its projected growth targets for a number of years, and it's why the players are getting the short end of the stick repeatedly. They are getting a lot less than what their contracts say they're supposed to, the escrow process, all of that stuff. It's in my blog on Gotham SN, on Twitter, Gotham Sports Network, the full web address. Good stuff. Working on a Ryan Strome blog, kind of trying to understand if his numbers are dependent on his line mates or if it's something different he's done in his last two years in New York because even though he's not creating more scoring chances for his own line than that line is suffering against them they're still scoring a higher percentage of goals when they're on the ice at even strength than the opposition so I've been doing a little bit of a case study trying to unpack a little bit of a deeper understanding of Ryan Strom's production But today's episode, not hockey-related. We are going back to Major League Baseball. Chris Schweitzer, again, dropped by one of my really good friends, someone who loves baseball as much as I do, and we had a really good conversation about the state of baseball from an abstract perspective, whether we're talking about on-the-field stuff, the style of play, rule changes that are possibly in the works, some of the labor issues that are going on in the game right now, whether you want to talk about free agency, arbitration, player rights in general, when they can reach free agency, um, revenue sharing, the luxury tax. This is a really all-encompassing conversation about the state of baseball from an abstract perspective. This is big picture stuff. This is the money, the business side, the strategy side. And next week when Chris drops by, we'll be back to talking about the the on-the-diamond action But before I get to the conversation with Chris, I really do have to remind everyone to please subscribe to the show. I can do this very fast. Spotify, Google Play, Audio Boom, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, anywhere else you look for podcasts, the show is there. If this show is not on a platform you like to use for podcasts, please let me know. I can get the RSS feed up on that platform within... The hour doesn't take particularly long to get a podcast listed. So, with that said, do have to remind everyone, if you're not already, please follow Gotham SN on Twitter. A lot of stuff now that baseball season's starting to ramp up. Some March Madness stuff. Lots of content. And if you're not already, follow along on Twitter. Follow if you're on Spotify, subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, please. Leave a five-star review. Leave a written review. I really would appreciate it. It's it's nice having your work validated when you put in a lot of effort. Now, with the housekeeping out of the way, I will turn it over to the conversation with Chris. And with that, I welcome on my very good friend, the most recurring guest of the Upper Bowl GM podcast, the host of the Sports Report with Chris Schweitzer. How are we doing, Chris? I'm doing good today. I'm, I'm honored to be the most recurring guest. I appreciate it. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm very excited. The weather today got me thinking about baseball a lot. So I, I'm very much in the mood for today's subje- subjects. We got a lot of... Uh, Big picture, abstract things we want to talk about, not specific to teams, individual players, that kind of thing. This is more of a big picture drop-down look at the state of baseball, because Chris and I both, we, we really do love baseball at our core, and we are willing to acknowledge that there are problems with it, and we want to see it better is the main thing we want to talk about. Small things that people have suggested as fixes to some of the problems within the game today. Yes, there's a lot, there's definitely a lot that could be fixed about baseball, probably too much, um, too much to be fixed all at once. Obviously with the the new CBA going to be negotiated after this season, before next season. Um, a lot of this stuff is going to be discussed next year. This is why this is 
especially relevant right now. But yeah, it's like I said, probably too much to fix all at once. But if we can get if we get to a good place, I think you know, just a, a good stepping stone. I think that'd be really good to start off with. All right, so let's start with the first thing. I wanted to talk about something that I think everyone is pretty aware of, but I still think today, in terms of competitiveness, the biggest inefficiency in baseball is middle relievers. I don't think any team really is blowing the bank out for middle relievers. I think teams are very reluctant to do so, and it's in their interest in the way they're designing their roster that these are just the extra guys in their rotation. The guys who are going to come in in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning, whether the game is close or not, that's a different level because every team has a middle relief guy for each kind of situation, someone who's in for mop-up, someone who's in for a close game, or someone who's in when you have a lead. But this has always been an inefficiency. Uh, The teams historically that have always done well in the postseason are the teams that are able to get starting pitchers out of the game faster, get to that mediocre to lesser talented middle part of a bullpen and exploit it. That has always been the historical path to some semblance of postseason success. Yeah, because if you're if you're in the postseason and you're like actually contending, odds are you have one to two at least great starting pitchers and your your ninth inning guy and your eighth inning guy and maybe even your seventh inning guy are all lights out. But that fifth and sixth thing, you're right. That's where you have to you have to make a difference, and that's where you could strike the most if you can get those guys out. And you know, like you said, there's really there's really nobody breaks the bank for those those guys. There's not really much of a need to, I guess. And and you see that like if, if you're if you like really want to test baseball like that that's the toughest thing that's like the most parody on a roster year to year is the guys you know like the the fifth sixth seventh guys in a bullpen every year those guys constantly changing out every year those guys they get called up they get sent down some guys go to korea you know all over the place to play because there's you know it's just the if you're not good enough to get out of that spot, then you're not going to make it in the league. So by the time you get to arbitration, when you have to start making real money, then the team's just going to get rid of you. There's no spot for you on a roster if if you can't perform and you're not cheap. So the other roster position I have here that I wanted to talk a little bit about is what we think of when we think of the catcher position. Because for most of our lives, last 20 years or so. There haven't been a ton of the great two-way catchers, the guys who can hit and play defense. For most of my life, it's either been a team is lucky to have one or the other. They either have the guy who's a plus hitter or the plus defensive guy who can't hit to save his life. And there are only a handful of guys at the position that are able to do that at a high level. I mean, Riamuto is probably the most obvious one who's a plus at both. James McCann is pretty good at both. He's only slightly a plus defender, but what do you think it is about the catcher position that teams usually shy away their more talented players away from? I mean, Bryce Harper obviously was a catcher coming out of high school when the Nationals selected him. Kyle Schwarber, the Cubs famously had to teach him how to play the outfield, and it was an adventure for the first two or three years because he just had no idea how to play left field. So specifically, what about the position, and why do you think teams are so willing to write off the position as all right, we either have a plus hitter or we have a plus defender. If we don't have someone that can do both, it's fine. I think part of the reason for, for I guess, shying the real, like the uber talented guys, like the Bryce Harpers away is because it does put a lot of stress on players, especially, you know, on, on their knees and on their legs. Um, so it's certainly a point of concern. And if you can have a guy like Bryce Harper, if you can have him standing in right field, for three hours or you can have him squatting behind home plate for three hours you probably want him just standing in right field it's a, a lot a lot less you know tension on the body um that's for sure also uh, you know a catcher you can't you know catchers don't play even a, a guy a catcher that's healthy all year they're not going to play 162 games they're probably not even going to play 150 games they're going to get days off once or twice a week just because again the the toll that that position puts on your body so i think just the really talented guys they get pushed elsewhere just because, you know, you want them in your lineup as much as possible. And if you're a catcher, you're really not going to be there all that often. So that's, I think that's probably the biggest reason why is just keeping guys healthy. I think one of the interesting things about the state of baseball over the last 10, 15 years or so is that a lot of the perceptions about what we conventionally associate with each position have changed. Well, you typically still want power from your corner infielders. You want power from your corner outfielders and you want plus defense up the middle, both in the outfield and the infield, we're seeing slowly but surely the influx of 
power hitting shortstops, power hitting second basemen, center fielders who are traditional old school five tool guys who still hit for power, guys like Acuna, who on a good day can cover as much ground as anyone while still being a plus bat. And I think that ties nicely into the next thing I want to talk about, which is how baseball's changed, the three true outcomes. And that's part of the reason I know a lot of people are looking for solutions to just get the ball and play more. So when we talk about how baseball is changing, we've seen it. I remember growing up as a kid, everybody always made fun of Adam Dunn for hitting 220, even though he hit 40 home runs and drove in 120 RBIs. Everyone always said, you don't want that guy on your team. He sucks. You can't trust him to get a hit. You can't trust him to make contact. Sure, he hits 40 home runs, but he does it on bad teams. Uh, Adam Dunn was like 10 years ahead of his time. If Adam Dunn was playing in today's MLB, he'd, he'd be, you know, if, what Chris Davis would be if Chris Davis actually hit the ball. You know, get Adam Dunn would fit perfectly in into today's today's MLB. I mean, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to discredit Nelson Cruz or Edwin Encarnacion yeah. a little bit because they're they're, I think, better than Adam Dunn. Even you know, because obviously they played in a similar time as well. But he would he would be able to be like those guys playing in his late thirties. You know, DHing and like some team in the American League would sign him to be a DH in his late thirties if if he just continued doing what he was doing and he was playing in today's game. Like you said, the the three true outcomes. That's a lot of baseball and if you can if you're good at that or if you you have a positive effect on the team with those three true outcomes like the, the team's gonna find a spot in that roster for you one way or another somebody's gonna find a hole for you yeah so talking about the three true outcomes i for for people who don't know the three true outcomes are home runs strikeouts and walks because in a vacuum you either want your guy to get on base you want your guy to hit a home run or you want him to strike out trying to do one of those two things. And it's a lot of why there isn't as much ball in play. There isn't as much action as there used to be. There aren't as many contact hitters. There aren't as many guys who hit for average across a lineup. Now you're typically only going to have one or two guys who hit above 300 in a major league lineup, which is a departure from what historically you've been. You want your contact hitters at the top of the lineup to get on base for your middle of the lineup guys to drive them in. And that's, changed now i mean even today's leadoff hitters hit for power like even guys like brandon nimmo who you don't you'd look at him you wouldn't think he was a power hitter but when he lofts the ball he pulls it he can hook it and it's because guys know that's what teams want from them they know that a home run and a walk are the most efficient ways to win games and i know a lot has been made about it in basketball especially in the last few weeks i forget what publication did it but they interviewed a bunch of people about are there just too many three-pointers being taken in basketball and it's a real question are there too many guys just swinging for home runs and strike or striking out can we ever put the genie back in the bottle are there ways to get guys incentivize guys to hit for average again um you know that's a tough question because you know it, it is it is like with analytics just being like average doesn't necessarily mean as much as as we used to think it does so you know if if with analytics being more prevalent in today's game these guys know that average doesn't average doesn't necessarily mean as much as something like ops or even even slugging it on base percentage so if those mean more those are always going to be worth more and if those are worth more in contract negotiations that's always going to be what's what's you know on a player's mind like why would you hit two why would you bother trying to hit 330 if it's only going to get you 15 million dollars but if you hit 250 with 40 home runs you'll get 25 30 million dollars you know there, there's a clear difference there in in the salary and until until you know high batting average leads to more money it's just you know I, I don't know how you could do that but if that it, that's the only way it's going to happen and I, I don't see that happening any anytime in the near future all right so one last thing in this part of this conversation I know you mentioned of something about rule changes when we were talking about planning for this I I wrote down a few suggestions I had read what do you see in terms of what we can practically do for whether it's changing the way defenses aligned whether it's changing the outfield structures where there's a uniform set line of every outfield has to have at least this depth. What possibly do you think could work to help get the ball and play more? Um, I probably, I think, honestly, my, in my opinion, I think the most practical thing is probably moving, moving the mound. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really like the idea of getting rid of the shift. I think the shift, even the infield and the outfield, I think it's, it's a lot of baseball strategy and, you know, 
if if you're just looking at it, if you're if you're somebody, if you took someone who who had no idea how baseball was played, never watched a game of baseball in their life, and you show them, you go you go to a baseball game and they see an in, a team shift all the way to to you know the first base side of the infield, they'd say, well, why doesn't he just hit it the other way? And that's exactly the point, you know. They these guys these teams know where you're going to hit the ball. They act accordingly. They plan accordingly, and then you're still not going to hit the ball the other way. Like they're they're telling you to hit the ball, you know, opposite field, and you, you're not going to do it because you know you're not told to do it, or you're not. I guess they don't practice doing it anymore. So I don't really like getting rid of the shift. I think the shift is fine. It's a good strategy. There's an easy way to make teams stop shifting. It's start hitting the ball the other way. Um, you don't need to make rule changes for that. But I think moving moving the mound back probably probably helps batters get more contact and not necessarily hit more home runs because with the way the way pitchers throw the ball now throwing the ball they throw the ball so much harder than they did you know 10 15 20 years ago or you know even further back so throwing the ball harder of course leads to more strikeouts but also leads to more home runs just because ball goes faster one way if you hit the ball right it's going to go faster the other way as well so it's just, that's just physics so i think moving the mound back probably help get some more contact not necessarily more contact but when the ball is when you make contact it's not always going to go over the wall i think i think moving the mound back is probably the most practical thing to do i know i read that in the minor leagues they're going to explore this because that's what baseball is doing they're using the minor leagues as like the testing ground for some of these things one of the things i saw in there was that you're not allowed to have infielders not on the infield dirt so even if you want to shift people over they all have to be on the dirt you can't have like the the set the shallow fielder like you would have in softball where a second baseman typically lines up now for a dead pull left-handed hitter um the other thing in this sphere is just changing the way the ball is wound i know we all made fun of the last two years some of the juice ball home runs we saw where i know todd frazier would be on one knee the ball would bounce on the way in and he would still somehow golf swing it over the left field wall because the ball was just wound so tightly that if anyone got decent contact on it, it went a long way. And I know I've read a few pitchers have said that the balls are different this year in spring training and that they're a little bit softer, so they won't carry as much. Do you think that's another practical way to do this? Or do you think that this is all kind of Mickey mousing away around the actual problem? Um, it, it's not necessarily facing the problem head on, but I do think I think changing the base was also a, a very big, a very big deal and something they probably should do as well. Cause I remember a couple of years ago at the beginning of the 2019 season, when we were first experiencing the juice ball, I remember Noah Syndergaard said it felt like he was holding an ice cube yeah. when he was trying to throw, when he was trying to throw, trying to throw the baseball. And, you know, I'm sure he wasn't the only pitcher feeling that we, we see, we saw a lot of pitchers having similar, similar difficulties throwing the baseball that year and even more home runs. And I mean, there were guys, there's a whole Twitter page, dedicated yeah. to a juice ball exposed where it was just, you know, it seemed like every day you'd see a guy reach, you know, or get fooled on a, on a breaking ball, reaching low and away, just throwing his arms at the, you know, throwing the bat at the ball and somehow go you know, for, you know, straight away center field or whatever. And it, he gets a home run. It's like, how the, how the hell are these guys hitting the, hitting the ball 400, you know, 450 feet on pitches that they're fooled by and pitches that should never, you know, off the end of the bat, it just, it just didn't make a lot of sense. So I think the baseball too, probably probably would, would do i guess deadening the baseball yeah what they're, they're saying is probably the best or one of the best better ways to do that as well now moving on along here down the little rundown i have the next thing i have written down here is is baseball competitive as it is right now and specifically does the luxury tax as we know it work so since 2010 there have been eight different teams to win the world series the giants won three the Red Sox won two, and then everyone else won one. So we've got had pretty consistent parity this decade. So the first question I have for you before I give you my opinion on it, do you feel like the intent of the luxury tax is working, that the best teams aren't able to maintain a monopoly on all of the talent, that the talent has to be dispersed at least amongst that top tier of teams? I think to an extent, um, it's it certainly, I mean, we've certainly seen it uh, I guess make teams afraid. I guess you really afraid of going over that number because the only team that's doing it now is the Dodgers. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, even the Yankees, who are notorious, I mean, they're pretty much the reason that the luxury tax was put into place. 
they don't want to get anywhere near it. I mean, they gave DJ LeMahieu an extra year on his contract just to make sure they stayed under the luxury tax. Like they, they did a lot this whole season to make sure they stayed under. Um, the Dodgers really did go through the roof. I mean, they were like 30, 40 million over, but outside of them, I mean, they more than half the league's not even close to the luxury tax. I'm pretty sure it's really only the, the Mets, Yankees and Dodgers who are anywhere near it. Every, every, every other team in baseball is, is like, they don't even have to sweat it. they, they could probably sign two guys and still be under. So, you know, I, I guess it works to an extent, um, but I don't know if it, ne- it hasn't necessarily fixed the, the competitiveness because there's too many teams that don't even attempt, don't even really try, don't, don't put their best effort forward. So I think that's, that's a bigger issue than, than, the, than the luxury tax. Yeah, I mean, we, every sport has that issue right now where they're trying to find a way to disincentivize those teams and the bottom, the bottom five teams, bottom six teams in every league from just phoning it in for a whole season in hopes of having a good draft selection and freeing up cap space for the following year. As much as the NFL says it's anti-tanking, we full well know the Jaguars went into last season tanking. Baseball, the Pirates don't expect to win more than 50 games this year. The Orioles don't. The Tigers don't. Maybe the Royals can break, break 50 wins, but we're not talking about uh, a, a healthy sport. I think we've really seen in this last 10-year period a top tier of teams rise above everyone else, and then you have everyone else. You have the teams that were competitive. You have the Giants go on that sustained run. The Cardinals were in there a few World Series. The Rangers made a few World Series. The Red Sox made a few World Series. The Dodgers, of course, made a bunch of World Series. The Astros made a couple but big picture wise, it's really only that top eight, nine teams in baseball that can expect to be competitive every single year. I know when I had you on last week, we kind of broke down what teams are in what tier. And right now there's only about six teams that have a legitimate chance of winning the World Series. And I don't know if it's just anecdotally, but it feels like it's less competitive than when I was a kid. Like, yeah, I expected the Yankees or the Red Sox to win the American League every single year from 2000 to 2010. But I always felt like there were teams that would give them a hard time. Like, I know the Yankees forever couldn't beat the Angels in the playoffs. And I know the Red Sox from time to time would have problems with the Angels. There is no Angels right now. There is none of those mid-tier teams that are willing to spend a decent amount of money, hold on to their younger players, and build a solid team to compete with those. I think the closest version of that, we could say, is what the Indians were this decade, where... They built a lot of their team through their farm system, acquiring guys who were younger, who had upside. And then now that it was time to pay them, they've slowly but surely over the last few years sold them off. And baseball needs to find a way to incentivize that middle class of teams to keep spending a little bit more money, to be competitive. And I know this is a very easy thing for me to say because it is not my money at stake, but Baseball teams are a public entity. They are a public interest. When you ask the city, the state for money to build a new stadium, you are saying, we are part of the public. We are part of the community. We want you guys to be a part of this. You really can't say that, but then at the same time, only be worried about the bottom line of your team and be, okay, we're not going to be good this year. So we're going to stay very much under the luxury tax. So that way, when those luxury tax payments get doled out in revenue sharing, We're going to get our cut and we're going to make sure our bottom line is covered. And it doesn't matter how good the team is right now. It's just about making money, which is a safe thing to say. We could say about what the Mets were for the last few years with the Wilfons post Bernie Madoff scandal was they were more worried about the bottom line than winning baseball games. Yeah. I mean, that's really, I think to me, the biggest issue with like baseball, I think has the worst, the worst, I guess, competitive balance because it's, not only not only like teams not trying but you know they, they just they don't spend any money like they they literally don't try to win and like it, it's one thing for teams to like not be able to go through periods of sustained su- sustained success because like yeah the giants had that period and now now you know they fell off a little bit but that just you know that's the ebbs and flows of of you know professional sports teams you're going to be good some years and then they had they had their core they aged out they had to bring in you know a, a new regime that makes sense but you know, teams in baseball more than any other sport just don't even try. Like even even in football, yeah, the Jaguars tanked last year, but they were really the only team that was it seemed like actively trying to lose. I mean, the Eagles, you know, we could talk about the <laughs> Eagles in week 17, but you know, the Jets weren't. We thought for the whole year the Jets were tanking, and then they won two games in a row. 
when they had they had the best quarterback prospect in you know in in t- or ten years right in you know right in their lap and they they won two games because they obviously weren't tanking. So even in those sports and you know basketball and football teams are bad. Sometimes teams try to lose, but very rarely, very usually, it's one maybe two teams. Baseball, I mean, the the Pirates aren't trying to go anywhere. The Orioles aren't trying to go anywhere. Um, you know, like you said, the Tigers. The, the the Royals probably aren't going to do anything. The Rangers the Rockies, are, are, the Rangers, are only actively yeah. getting worse. The Rockies, like there's so many teams in baseball that are just blatantly not trying. Like they don't care about the success of the team. They only care about the money, like you said. And like I, I think I I do have I may, maybe a couple of ideas of how to fix that in a in a way. Um, but I mean, yeah, like just the the fact that they're they're they they literally care more about the money because they they act they're just trying to find ways to pay less money to their players or or to increase their profits instead of trying to win games. That's exactly what we saw with the Nolan Arenado trade. Nolan Arenado, I don't care how much he should never have gone for what he who, he went for. I know he's got a lot of money tied to him, but he's still a top you know top ten player in baseball. Um, and the fact that he went for as little as he did is just is just it's just people the rockies didn't want to pay him and they would they would do anything to get rid of his money and they they took a they just a, an embarrassing trade package to get rid of him and get rid of his contract i would like at baseball's version of this to go i i don't think a hard cap is the answer but i do think at some point you need to introduce a salary floor where yeah. some the nhl has it and the nba has it where you have to spend a minimum amount of money every single season. Even if it's guys who are like on long-term injured reserve, that's why there are so many guys in hockey who are like retired, but their money is still on the books. So teams like the Coyotes have done this a couple of times. The Senators have done this a couple of times where, yeah, Chris Pronger hasn't played in 12 years, but he's, his money is still on the Arizona Coyotes books because they want to meet that minimum salary threshold. I think that's a starting point. Every team needs to spend at least X number of dollars a year where even if you're not building a good team and make sure the guys who are there on that team already are getting something. They're not just toiling away until their arbitration and then they're non-tendered and then they have to go to another team spring training and try and get on a 40 man. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. The salary floor I think is the easiest solution to this problem because even, even, you know, you look at a couple of years ago in the NBA the Knicks, when we had that, they had that offseason where you thought they're getting number one pick, they're getting Zion, they're going to sign Kevin Durant, they're going to sign Kyrie Irving. It's going to be a great offseason. Of course, they end up getting none of them. And you think, and, and if that was in another sport or if NBA didn't have a salary floor, the Knicks probably go into the next season. They they sign maybe a couple guys, like a couple a couple young guys to cheap contracts, and that's it. And they just they just roll the dice with the same team the next year. But there's a salary floor, so they have to go out. They have to sign Julius Randle. They have to sign, you know, they were smart with it. They did it. They only gave those guys one two-year contract so they can keep, you know, payroll flexibility. But it made them at least, like, have NBA talent, you know, NBA-level talent on their roster, and they had to pay them a certain amount of money. These guys are getting – the guys are getting money. You know, maybe guys getting a little more than they deserve, but, you know, no player is going to complain about that. And like I said, they have – NBA level talent on the roster. You know, it's paying off for them now because Julius Randle is incredible. But baseball, like I said, there are teams that they're like, well, you know, we're not one or two signings away from being competitive, so we're just not going to sign anybody. You know, like the Pirates, they're actively they're just getting rid of any player that's making any kind of money, and they're not they're not going to go out and sign anybody because they know our team's not good. We're not going to win, so why would we waste money on a guy? Give a guy ten million dollars a year if we're not going to be good for the duration of his contract, we'll just wait until, until it's time, you know, it's time for us to compete and then we'll spend money. But that's, you know, like I said, that that's not, that's not the right way to do it. It's not good for the players because then there's so many guys just sitting out there that are MLB, you know, level and they can't find a job or they have to wait at the wait until spring training to get a job and sign for less than what they probably should be signing for. And it's worth pointing out that it takes a long time time to rebuild a baseball team i mean the astros went through like a five six year stretch of just being the worst team in baseball fielding mm-hmm. basically a triple a team to get all of the guys that were eventually became the core of a world series team this is not like it is in football where you have one bad year you tank you get the quarterback prospect in the top five and you can win eight games the next year right away 
baseball is not like that, where if you draft a guy in the top 10 in the baseball draft, you probably won't have that guy on your active roster for at least four years, three to four years minimum. Uh, it's one of the things that's similar between hockey and basketball, uh, hockey and baseball rather, is guys take a while to get to the NHL level. Same thing with baseball, because you, when you draft a guy who's 18, they either go to college or they, they spend a few years in the minors, and it takes a while for them to break through that ceiling and it's just entirely untenable to have a, a, a garbage team for that long I, I i was looking for a better word but what the pirates are doing is laughable they're making a mockery of what baseball is they're supposed to be trying to win and i understand that you know well we can't afford that right now so we're better off just being hot garbage well then when it comes time for, you know, people to buy season tickets or you to ask for a new stadium, you don't get to do that. You, you want something from the public. If you think the public should spend their money on you, you have to do something to be worth spending your money. Yeah, and I mean, that you know, that was the thing with the Wilpons for a while. As they always said, you know, the complaint from a lot of us Mets fans with the Wilpons was they don't spend enough money. And then their, their rebuttal was, uh, we'll spend money when you, when you show up to the games. Yeah. But then why would we show up to the games when you're fielding a lineup, you know, with, with Mike Nickius and, and you have bought you signing Bobby Abreu when he's 38 years, like, why would, why would fans go to the games? I can't even say that. Cause I went to a game. I went to Bobby Abreu's debut with the Mets, but you know what I'm saying? Like why, why are fans going to pack out, you know, fill out a stadium, sell out a stadium when the owners, you're not spending money on the team. Like I know you, you could say it all you want. They, you know, they said like, Oh, we'll spend money when you show up to the games, but then, you know, they went on that magical run in 2015 Fans showed up for the entire last couple of months of the season in the 2016 season. And I mean, yeah, they gave Cespedes the contract, but they still never got close to the luxury tax. You know, they, the Mets have done more in this off season than, than the Wilpons ever did. And, you know, there's no guarantee, you know, they, there's not even a guarantee we're going to have fans in the stadium and Steve yeah. Cohen's still willing to spend the money um, when the Wilpons wouldn't do it when there's no pandemic. And, you know, the team was actually pretty good and they still wouldn't, wouldn't do as much as they did this off season. So it's just, you know, it's, it's a shame to see. Cause like, like you said, like we're saying, the owners, they, all they care about is, is the profits. They don't care. You know, it's when they win, you make more money, but they're not going to risk. They're not going to risk a lot to try and get a, a successful team. They're not going to go out on a limb and, you know, maybe, maybe make a risky signing to win games. If they're like, they, the risk has to be super low for them to make any kind of, any kind of financial commitment to a player. So it's just, I don't know. I, I it's, the salary was probably the best way to fix it, but it's, I don't know. I don't know how realistic that is for major league baseball, honestly. And it's frustrating because you want, a, you want baseball to be healthy. You want to have a bunch of teams that are competitive and circling back around to one of the things in there, it, you mentioned about the Wilpons is you don't have to own a professional baseball team. You know, if it's too much of a burden for you to make the commitment to fielding a competitive team, by all means, sell the team, make a couple billion dollars and yeah, go right. retire and go live on an island. There are plenty yeah. of people who are going to be willing to put their money into a team. I, I know that occasionally you get situations like the Will Ponds. I know the Indians are having money problems right now. I know the Arizona Coyotes in the NHL are having money problems occasionally it's okay to just admit that you know you were in this for the business venture and you know the team part of it was just the bonus it was the flex it was the i get to go to the games i get to bring my family i get to bring my friends i get to be the guy i get to go down to the locker room before and after the games talk to the guys and feel like i'm part of the team but at some point you know it's not just about you sports are a public interest thing and I know it won't ever happen in the United States because the culture is different here, but a lot of the clubs in Europe for soccer, they were publicly traded companies. Like, you know, you used to be able to go to the stock exchange and buy shares of a football club and get a voice in the discussion. And that's why a lot of billionaires were able to just do hostile takeovers of those clubs. I know the Glazer family did a hostile takeover where they bought every single, they bought a majority share of Manchester United off the stock market and now they're never going to be a publicly traded company again because it's not value, it's not worth it for the Glazers to ever sell shares again. But you got to find a way to incorporate the public voice more. I, I know it's not practical for every team to be sold like the Packers in shares and everyone can, the public can buy an interest in it, but we got to find a way. We got to make sports more accessible. We got to let the public back in. 
and we got to make it feel more like sports and less of a business. And maybe that's just romantic naivety from someone who loves sports as much as I do. And I know you're the same way where you're up at night thinking about Dave Gettleman's roster comments, <laughs> where he's talking about how much he likes windows uh, on his computer, but we just want baseball to be healthier. We want more teams to be competitive. We want more people to be able to enjoy their team the way we do. Yeah. That's the thing. Like getting new fans, like you're not going to get new fans. Like how, how is any, any growing up in Pittsburgh going to look at the team, you know, watch, turn on a, turn on a Pittsburgh Pirates game on like a Tuesday night and watch that team and be like, there's nobody for them to root for. Like, who, who, who were they going to look at in that team and be like, well, you know, th- this is a guy that I can get behind. This is a guy that I like, you know, it, that's just, it's, it's not likely when you're not paying in it, when you're not paying for, for quality talent, you're not going to ha- obviously not going to have quality talent. If you don't have quality talent, who, who are your fans going to root for? Like who, who's going to watch the you know pirates games? Like, of course people are going to watch, but like, it, it's so much better to root for a team when you have a player that you love on that team, when you have a player that, that goes out every day and they play great, you know, and then it's nice to see those players get rewarded, you know, with a big contract. But if, if there's nobody on the roster that's, you know, that I guess is making any money or it's, it's quality talent. Like wh- what's the point, how are you going to get new fans, you know, to, to watch your sport? It's just not going to happen. So, you know, it, it even goes as far as just, it's not going to be able to spread the game if teams just actively aren't trying. Like I said, like Pitts, Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, they're not going to get a lot of new fans when during the season because who's going to want to watch that team? Nobody's going to want to watch that team. And circling back around to a point I had made earlier, but I, I while you were talking, I, it came to me. It's I've written about this a number of times when it comes to hockey, when they talk about how much they want to make the grow the game, how much they want to make other people feel included then you can't treat it like just a business. You can't just expect people to show up all of the time if you're not doing anything worthy of their attention. If you're selling a good, a service at the end of the day, going to a game is an experience. If it's not affordable, people won't go. If the team is not good, people are less inclined to go. You can't just assume that because this is the team, people are going to come. You have to do things to draw people in. Yeah, you'll always have your diehards, but... If you're only relying on your diehards as the foundation of your business model, you're never going to grow at a rate that's reasonable. It's one of the really big problems hockey and baseball have right now is basketball and football, they leapfrog baseball. Baseball was America's thing for a long time, and baseball is comfortably third now. It's going to stay third because hockey is never going to catch up in the United States, but baseball used to be the most important thing in American culture, and now baseball is A-Rod half paying attention to the game while Matt Vaskersian makes really bad jokes and Jessica Mendoza is trying to talk about the game and then A-Rod is talking about the Mets and then Matt Vaskersian is talking in Spanish for some reason and it's just not appealing any to people anymore and it's frustrating because you and I talk about this all the time when, whenever we're organizing like in a pre-pandemic universe trying to like go to a Met game all of our friends are like, I don't care about baseball. Baseball sucks, but I'll go just to hang out. And it's a shame that more people don't get to appreciate baseball because at its core, baseball is an amazing game. It's such a thinking person's game. You constantly have to be setting up what you're about to do next. You have to think a couple of moves ahead. It really is such an amazing sport and people just don't get to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it, like you said, it's football now has just such a strong, you know, hold of american culture and basketball basketball is leapfrogged because basketball has done a better job of appealing to younger people and to 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 growing their audience and they've grown it so much that they like you said they've been able to leapfrog baseball baseball's had such you know a a a big problem trying to to grasp new fans which basketball is easily able to do now it's a little easier with basketball because of course it's a more action-packed sport there's, there's stuff going on constantly which isn't is, is the downside to baseball but you know it, it they certainly there there are enough personalities and players in baseball that you know if you if you shine a light on them they're going to bring people in you know like this whole this whole thing with 
people the unwritten rules and people be upset, being upset about bat flips that's how you get a kid to watch baseball is if Mookie Betts hits a home run and he throws his bat at you know he throws his bat in the air and celebrates that's what's going to get young people to watch you know young kids are going to want to watch that they're not going to want to watch a guy hit a 450 foot home run and drop the bat down and run around the bases respectively you know they're going to want a guy you know they're going to want the guy with the big chain around his neck and you know hitting 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 absolute bombs and you know show show off the picture a little bit you know you don't have to be disrespectful but you know a lot of you know a lot of times the guys say if you don't want a guy to showboat on you don't let him hit a home run don't let him take you 450 straight away center you know and so that's what's fun about the game now and that's what's going to get kids the flashiness is going to get kids to watch and if you if you actively try to to shut out that flashiness you're just you're not going to get new fans not at least not at a nearly high enough rate so amplify these people that make the game better and make the game more fun instead of you know shaming them for it because that i mean that that's really the big thing with baseball is just putting your better players out there and making sure people know who your stars are and you know who they are how they how they play and everything they do and how they make the game fun that's what they have to do so i know you had wanted to talk about this and it ties back into our earlier point about the interest of is it to make money or is it to win a team and make money while you're doing it you had talked a little bit about contract structures and something michael conforto had said about service time versus age Uh, so tell me a little bit about that and let's go from there well one of the one of the biggest problems with baseball today and a lot of the the, one of the big probably one of the main talking point in the cba next year is going to be service time in baseball um so just a quick rundown if you if you don't know um when a player gets called up their service time starts so so every day they spend in in the major leagues on the major league roster that accrues towards their service time um and after six years of service time then they become a free agent if you spend time in the minors you don't you don't get service time um and a lot there there is i don't know exactly how it works but there's kind of i guess a loophole is the best way to describe it where if a player doesn't start the season until like mid-April or I don't know the exact date, but there's a, there's a point early on in the season, about, about a month or two in, where if a player starts after that date, then their, their service time is, is accrues in a way that free agency is pushed back another year for them. So basically a guy, you know, player has, a, they, they, the team has a player. He's there. They're really good. They're a really good prospect. They're ready for the major leagues, but they think, well, if we just hold this guy down in the minor leagues for a month, we're only missing, you know, 20, 20 something games out of the sky. And then for, in, for sacrificing those 20 games, we can get in a whole extra season of team control out of him. But this is very obviously just manipulating the service time. It's what teams do it all the time. You saw Chris Bryant happen was one of the, the, the more recent and more notable ones because he actually took the Chicago Cubs to court. He, you know, filed a lot of grievances against them to try and win back that, that year, which he ultimately couldn't do. But service time is a big, big issue in the game. And, you know, you have to find a way for guys to, to get to free agency earlier, because a lot of the problems we see is like you said before with baseball, when you get drafted, you don't come up right away. So a lot of guys make their debuts at 23, 22, 23, 24 years old. And by that time you reach free agency, you're 30. No one wants to pay a 30 year old, you know, people want to pay 26, 27, 28 year olds, but people don't necessarily want to pay a 30, 31 year old, and it's harder for those guys to get contracts and to get more money. So getting players to free agency earlier is going to be a big issue. And I mean, you can, you can, one of the things like you said, Michael Conforto brought up was, I don't know if he came up with this idea, but it is talked about with players a lot is a universal age for free agents. So no matter, no matter when you make your debut in the major leagues at the age of 27 or 28, I don't know the exact number they have in mind, but let's just say 28 for right now, once you get to 28 years old, you're a free agent. Like after that season, your 20 age 28 season, you're a free agent after the age. No matter how, doesn't matter if you're called up at 26 or you're called up when you were 18, no matter what at 28. So I don't know. I, 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 it's an interesting idea. I don't know if I fully agree with it. I think just shortening the service time is probably better having only five years, four years of service time. I think probably make a lot more sense for, for players and for teams. Um, but that's just, that's just my opinion. Honestly, I don't know how you, how you feel about that. No, I definitely think there has to be um, a, a solution to this problem because we've, we've seen it now three years in a row where the free agent market is slow played. The owners, general managers, 
they don't start handing out money till January now because teams are trying to make the players sweat out, be willing to take less money. And these are guys who made it to free agency. These are guys who don't have obligations to any team. They're able to sign with whatever team they want to, but the market is being intentionally slow paid to try and sweat these guys into taking less money than they deserve. And I know in hockey, it's either eight years in the league or 27 years old. That's the rule. Whichever one happens first, you're eligible to hit free. That's still ridiculous that a team can, especially in hockey, because you get to the league usually by the time you're 21, 22 years old. Baseball, it's a little bit later. But to your point, you want guys to maximize their earning power. You want players to be able to maximize their talent, to do well, and to earn money. Because let's be honest, there's not a lot of people on the planet who can do what Mike Trout does. There aren't a lot of people on the planet who can do what Fernando Tatis does. And it's better for the sport when the players are in control. We see it in the NBA. The NBA is in such an enviable position compared to the NHL and the MLB because the players dictate everything. And because the players dictate everything, they have so much more agency over their lives. The NBA is constantly in the news and it's so conversation driven and it's the easiest sport to do the fantasy basketball in your mind because it happens in real life and no other sport was all right Kawhi Leonard's going to sit down with the Clippers for a meeting well if you saw it if you trade for Paul George I'll sign with you guys and no other sport is that going to happen where a team is going to trade a bunch of assets a bunch of picks and players for a guy to get another one to sign with them I'm not saying I want that specific thing for baseball, but I'm saying some version of that exists out there where if a bunch of talented guys get to free agency all at the same time, they link up and they go to make another team. Like this will never happen, but you know, a bunch of guys hit free agency, like Chris Bryant, let's say next year, the crazy free agent class that's supposedly out there. Three of those guys all link up and say, we want to play together. Whichever team wants to pitch us, we'll come play for all we'll come play for you guys next year you can have three all-star caliber players ready to go opening day but you got to get us all at once you can't get only one of us you got to be willing to spend all the money for all of us we need that in baseball we need the fact that Tatis just signed a ridiculous extension to be in the news for three days like someone signing the super maxes in the nba yeah i think i think a, a big thing too with just players i guess maximizing the earning power i think the whole arbitration process is another thing you can look at and it's like it doesn't make a lot like in theory it makes sense you know it's a calculation based on how well you perform and counting stats you know it, it, it pretty much goes how well you play that's what determines your salary and in 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 a bubble in a vacuum that idea makes sense but it's off it's also it has a lot of problems because no matter how good you play in certain times, there's, there is not necessarily limits, but you really can't go above a certain point at a certain times. So I was looking, I was thinking about it before the show, before, before you had me on. I think that one of the, the, the most prominent examples in my mind that I can remember was Josh Donaldson yeah. in 2015 after he won the MVP with Toronto. He wins MVP. The guy wins MVP. He's like 26 years old at the time. You're thinking arbitration he's going to get a fat pay today. He's going to get a lot of money MVP. He only signed for 14 million. I think he signed a two year, $28 million deal the next off season to, to avoid arbitration. And you're thinking a guy who just won MVP is only making 14 million a year. Like that doesn't make any sense. Those numbers don't add up, but based off of our, where his arbitration was, or, it, you know, the, the, I think he was in first year of arbitration based on that alone, he could only make a certain amount of money really so it doesn't really like, even though it goes based off his performances and how well he plays, it's still to a point like that's not market value for market value for a guy who just won MVP. So maybe, maybe they could go to a system like like a restricted free agency, like the NBA and the NHL have, where guys are able to add to the first couple two three years on on a rookie contract where they're making you know like five hundred thousand basically league minimum. Once they get past that point and they get to restrict the free agency, then you really get paid market value for how good you are. So guy, like, I, I, you know a lot more about the NHL than I do, but I'm pretty sure if, if you're in, even if it's your first year of restricted free agency in the NFL, or excuse me, NHL, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're 
scoring 40 goals a year, you're going to get a lot of money. You're going to get eight, nine, $10 million for your contract. Even if you're, you're only 23 and it's only your first year of restricted free agency, there's no limit to how much you can make um, just based off how young you are, or how, how deep in your contract you are. Cause like I said, that's how it is in arbitration. So, you know, if the MLB had restricted free agency and Josh Allenson goes in the restricted free agency after the MVP season, instead of making $28 million over two years, he might sign, you know, he might sign a contract for, for one year, $28 million. You know, he might get that all that money in one year instead of having to spread it over two because of arbitration. So and it's another thing too, maybe they, they can look into. Um, I haven't seen that talked about, but again, I think they just have to find a way to get players more, you know, more power in, in negotiations and more power in being able to get money that accurately reflects how well they play and accurately reflects their market value. So I know you said you had a few things you wanted to talk about. So work me down your list. What What's something you've been thinking about baseball-wise that we haven't touched on yet? Um, you know, honestly, I, th- I, I think we, we have gotten through a lot of the talking points. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Um, I, am, I am nervous with these looming CBA discussions. And like we yeah. talked about, there's so much – there's so much to be discussed and there's so much that the players want and they, they rightfully deserve that, you know, there's no way you can get, you can, they can get everything they want. Like there's no way they can all, all the, the, you know, all of the things that they want, all the things they want to bargain for in the CBA, there's just no way the owners are going to let them get, you know, everything. So then where is the line drawn for the players? You know, where, where is, you know, what do they accept? You know, what are they, I guess more willing to, to let from the wayside until the next CBA, you know, eight, 10, whenever it is, you know, or, or are they going to hold firm on everything? Are we going to have a lockout? Like that's a very serious, you know, it, it's, you, you would, we would like to think that we're not going to have a lockout next year, but it's very, it's a very real possibility with everything that the players want now that maybe there's a lockout because maybe these two sides don't budge. I mean, we already started this off season where team, they were trying to negotiate health and safety um, measures for this upcoming season and even then they they couldn't work out a plan for universal dh they couldn't work out you know plans to to push the season back a month to to help both sides because it just you know the players wanted one thing the owners wanted another thing and neither of them were willing to concede any ground to the other side so you know luckily this season the cba is still in place so even though they weren't they weren't able to come to any agreements we still get baseball but next season with a new cba up for up for negotiation we might not get that lucky we might not get us you know the, we might not get a season at the beginning of april next year so i think honestly that that's just mostly what's on my mind about baseball is i'm worried about the the potential of of a lockout next year it's a very real possibility simply because the players union in baseball has gotten the short end of the stick in the last couple of collective bargaining agreements which is fascinating because ML baseball used to have the strongest players union of all the four major sports. It used to be one of the most powerful unions in the entire country. The uh, yeah, reason, I mean, the they, reason they have fully guaranteed contracts, which yeah. most, you know, I mean, even football can't say that, which is, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, the reason there is free agency is because the major league players, baseball players association sued for the right to free agency that teams don't get to control players their entire careers it's not up to the player the teams for how long they get to keep a player at some point the player gets to have some rights and gets to choose where they go and baseball's players association just keeps getting driven further into the ground i i don't want to get too deep into labor law here but it's hard representing a union with that many people because all of those different people have vastly different interests and you have to represent the top tier of players who are earning the 35, $40 million a year. But at the same time, you also have to be able to protect those entry-level guys who are just getting into the bigs, who don't have any money in the bank. And you have to protect that middle class of free agent. And that is the group of player that is in real trouble right now is that middle-class free agent, the guy who on the open market in a healthy market would get 15 to $20 million a year. They're getting the short end of the stick a lot of the time where they're going to have to take like 11, $12 million just because teams aren't going to be willing to pay them because there's no protections for them. And I understand there's complexities that go into that, but at the same time, you don't see that in football. In the NFL, for as much problems as NFL free agency has and the way it's worked out and how players are cut without any guarantee of being paid, 
the middle class of free agents are the key guys. You, you think about the guys like John Brown, the Cole Beasleys, those the situational pass rushers who float around, like Chris Long for all those years went from the Patriots to the Eagles. The, that tier of free agent always will be desired come free agency because teams are always ready to compete. There isn't a healthy middle class of players in baseball right now if they hit the open market. If they stay with the team that has them, that has their arbitration rights when they're a free agent, they get taken care of. But a guy who gets that mid-tier, like a J.D. Davis, if he gets to free agency, his production, he should get 20-ish, $22 million a year just based on his power, his RBIs. He'd be lucky to get $15, $14 million in the open market because of the way the market is artificially driven down right now. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I was just thinking about something too. It's, it's so interesting how in, in baseball, guys like actively shy, like obviously free agency is something they want, but they actively shy away from free agency because they know the troubles that go into it. And there's like the, the uncertainty about it. I mean, you know, what other, like you, you look at basketball, LeBron James, for his entire second stint in Cleveland, he basically signed one year deals every year because he knew. Like he's the best player in the league. Somebody's gonna pay me. Like even if even if I don't play that good and Cleveland doesn't want me back, somebody's gonna go out and pay me because I'm LeBron James, you know. But you look at guys like Mike Trout, but you know far and away the best player in baseball. He signed a thirteen what a 13, 12, 13 year contract extension because he's like, I could, I could get the free agency and even though I'm the best player in the game, I might not be able to sign a contract. Like I might be I might be out of a job for for a month or two and I might not be able to get as much money as I want. You know, that's that's a very real possibility in a lot of these players' minds. One thing goes wrong, and then all of a sudden, I don't get my market value. So they're, they're like, pretty much every every major player and, you know, top top end player in Major League Baseball is locked in for the rest of their career. Like, Mike Trout is going to be an angel for the rest of his career, at least contract-wise. Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, Mookie Betts, all these guys, the teams they're on right now, they're more than likely going to end their careers on those teams. Maybe Tatis, like Tatis's contract was going to end when he's 36. So maybe he goes to another team for the last couple of years. But for the most part, all these guys are locked in for their careers pre 30, pre turning 30 years old, because they don't want to go to free agency. You know, like Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, they didn't even want to get near free. Agency. I mean, Fernando Tatis, not even an arbitrator. <laughs> he doesn't even he doesn't want to go there because like I said, you probably saw what happened with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, where these are two guys at the top of their game. They're 26 years old, and it took them it took them two months to sign a contract because this the market got slow played so much. So now these guys are like afraid to test see because they don't know what's going to happen to them. And in no other sport do you see that. Like guys, guys are actively afraid of going to free agency in Major League Baseball, where in, in, in every other sport they're 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 longing for, it, they want it, and they know once they get there, somebody's going to pay them what they're worth. But you just don't get that in baseball. Baseball is just so culturally different from every other sport. I mean, it's kind of close to hockey because it's so old school. It's so it's so it's such a old school old boys club type deal where everybody who's in baseball is in baseball for their entire existence there are people who come from outside of baseball into it for the most part there are in the last 10-15 years there have been a lot of math people who trickled in from the academic world and the finance world but big picture wise baseball is a monolith it's still very much just how it's been yeah the, the way the game has played has changed over time but the way the economics have shaken out, the way the players are treated, it hasn't dramatically changed in a while. I mean, I think back to when A-Rod said, I'm going to free agency, you know, during game four of the World Series or whatever. And that was the biggest story in sports for a week and a half. And if, you know, Mike Trout didn't even want to like listen to offers in free agency where A-Rod wasn't the best player in the world anymore when he opted for free agency. But, you know, he was a marquee player on the Yankees. He did it during the World Series because Scott Boris knows how to drive a news cycle. Mike Trout was content with just being a guy who goes to Eagles games in the offseason, and maybe we win a World Series, maybe we make a playoff game every other year, every three years. That's good enough for me, and the culture is just so different. It's 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 crazy how much it changed even just in baseball, but how different it is from 
like I was saying before, just all these other sports where guys are so much, so much more willing to to test a free agent market, and you know, because they there's just some kind of there there is some kind of insurance there that's not there in baseball, and you, you like you just don't know you don't know if you're gonna be able to like you're gonna get paid at some point, but you don't know it's probably not gonna be your market value, even you know if you're not like you were saying before, if you're that that middle guy, which is a lot of the league, you're not gonna get your market value, so it's you know it's just it's very interesting in baseball they they got a lot to fix it's weird man i i always used to think baseball would be fine but as time keeps going on and baseball and hockey keep going the wrong way and basketball and football keep going up i it just kind of feels like baseball is going to be a niche sport like hockey and that sucks i'm always going to have a special place in my heart for baseball it was the only sport i was ever even like halfway decent at so it sucks to see baseball in the state it is, but at the same time, I know I say this about every sport, but there has never been more exciting young talent in the sport than there is right now. There has never been a better crop of players ever. <clears throat> the players now are more talented. They have access to better information about their bodies. They're better access to information about the way they play and Baseball has all of the potential. All of the tools are here for a successful league to boom its revenues, to have a healthy market for its players, to create profits that'll make the owners happy. All of the pieces for baseball to be successful are here. Baseball was successful for a long, long time before the market got thrown out of whack. It's all there. It's just a matter of how willing people are to make things happen. Yeah, like you said, the, 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 it's really a golden age for, for baseball players. I mean, even just looking at how these positions change, you, you mentioned earlier in the show where shortstop you used to be a position where you have a guy that's fast, he's good at defense, and he's a slap hitter. Maybe he'll get some, you know, he'll stretch out some doubles and triples sometimes. But now we have guys routinely hitting 30, 30 plus home runs at the shortstop position. I mean, they're a dime a dozen now. Even just look at the next free agent class if they all make it Lindor, Seeger, uh, Correa. Trevor Story, like all these guys are power hitters at shortstop and not just like not just power hitters at shortstop. They're guys that have they have their power, they have speed, they have a glove, they have an arm, like they have they have all five tools and they play a position that generally didn't have all those five tools. So the game the game is evolving so much. It, it it's like you said, it's they had they have all the opportunity, they have all the chances ahead of them to to push this game to people. And they have all the players necessary to do it. And they just, they, it's just up to them to actually go and do it to make this game more popular because they, all the pieces are in place. Thanks for coming on, Chris. This was fun. It's always good to talk baseball. Now that we're getting close, we're only like two weeks away from opening day. We're actually yeah, starting to get to the fun part. I think it's, I think it's three weeks from today. I'm pretty, it's April 1st, I know is, is, is opening day. So yeah, three, three weeks from today. You have two more Thursdays to go before before baseball starts, so I'm extremely excited. It's a shame, man. Opening day is one of my favorite days of the year. It's a shame people don't. I'm not going to be able to go. I mean, going to opening day at City Field is just it's the only time of the year people are like genuinely happy going into the stadium. People are happy in the parking lots. The tailgates before the game have genuine excitement. Everyone is talking themselves into the Mets making the playoffs. I mean. I remember going to opening day in 2018 where and being like, the Mets are going to make the playoffs this year. And like wholeheartedly believing that, like the 2018 <laughs> New York Mets are going to make the playoffs. That was a team that went on to give Jose Bautista like 350, 400 at-bats over the course of a summer. So obviously, Mets fans are a little bit different than everyone else. Chris, thanks for coming. This is always fun. Tell the people a little bit about the episode of the sports report you did yesterday, because I enjoyed it. It was a really good listen. You talked a bit about the NFL draft. Yeah, I did. I did mostly football talk. Uh, usually I spread it around, but with NFL free agency starting up uh, in, in just a few days, I think the tampering period starts. Actually, I think it starts tomorrow, right? The tampering yeah. period. Um, so, or I, I should say Friday. I don't think the, the show is going out today, but it starts Friday. So free agency, NFL free agency is right around the corner. Did a, a show pretty much mostly about football talked about uh the giants and the jets kind of previewed where they are what their offseason could look like um some of the decisions they have to make i gave predictions i like giving predictions on my show so i give predictions of what they think they're going to do this offseason um you know free and and draft um and, and a couple of trades as well so 
deep dive into into both those teams, those being our, our local football teams. So um, if you want to listen, that sounds interesting, the Sports Report uh, on all podcast streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Speaker, it's on all of those. Um, and it's on, I'm on every Wednesday, 7 p.m., HudsonRiverRadio.com. So go check it out if if you enjoy it. You can find my, my Twitter and Instagram on there as well. So I would appreciate that. Um, but with that, I do appreciate you, Nick, for having me on. Uh, I know we've been doing this a lot. Like you said, the most reoccurring guest. So appreciate the platform you're giving me. I, I love coming on talking about baseball. So thank you. I'm going to put together a football forum soon where I'm going to try and get pretty much everybody to come talk because the draft is on the horizon. And I do think it would be very fun to just kind of have Darren and Bones argue for 30 minutes <laughs> and just all of us watch while they argue on Zoom and then just put get- it on a podcast. <laughs> give the world a peek into our, our group me our group yeah. chat just watching them argue about about the drew lock and daniel jones and who's better <laughs> even though they both suck <laughs> daniel jones is really all we got and i'm very glad dave gettleman isn't a believer in the window theory i'm very glad he's not a believer in the window theory you will be back to talk about the giants probably a little bit closer to the draft but Chris will be back next week for baseball talk. We'll probably go back onto the field for next week's show. Talk a little bit more about some of the teams that aren't as accessible. We'll probably dig into teams like the White Sox, the A's, the Twins, the teams you know that are good, but if they're not on ESPN, nobody outside of those markets sees, but people like Chris and I see because we're baseball junkies. So I'll see you guys on Monday. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. 